You're listening to episode 129 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a podcasting coach, lifestyle entrepreneur, and a Canadian with a sense of curiosity and adventure, always asking more questions and using stories to connect with and positively impact others. Here on the Room to Grow podcast, we're going deep into big topics like relationships, mental health, business, confidence, lifestyle, personal development, and entrepreneurship, and being open, honest, and real about how to learn from tough lessons along the way when life throws you into the unexpected. I bring you thoughts and guests with stories that will change the way you look at the world and yourself so that we can learn from each other and grow with lots of self-love and compassion every step of the way. There's always more room to grow. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. Emily here, and today's episode is robust. (laughs) I have never actually spent this much time putting an episode together, and we're talking all about lie spotting. And for anyone who uh, is new or anything like that, I I always, I, I keep referencing this episode, but it is really important and sort of an integral part of the information and content that I'm coming out with is that uh, I found out on Christmas Eve that my partner of nine years had been unfaithful to me and having an affair with someone else for our entire nine years. And it's episode 117. You can go back and listen to the full story on all of that. It is uh, quite the, the wild ride. <laughs> and the thing is, is that being lied to for nine years has changed the course of my entire life. It has changed my purpose Uh, how I want to show up and impact the world, the way I view myself and how I relate to others. I would argue that it has changed me for the better as opposed to for the worse, but it's still nothing that I would wish upon another human being. But to me, it's the best thing to ever happen to me. But this is why I ended up doing such a deep dive into lie spotting and detecting deception after like in the wake of all of this coming out, because I wanted to better understand how I could have missed some of these signs and what to look for moving forward, Uh, not only in my personal life, but in my professional life as well, just in everyday life, being able to detect deception, because a lot of us think that we're better at something like this than we actually are. So it's really important to start to fully examine some of the signs that we're missing some of the background on, on lies and lying, first of all, we're all liars. (laughs) I just need to put that out there. We are all liars. We all tell lies. We tell lies to get out of doing something, to protect ourselves, to get something we want. However, human instinct is to be honest. So the difference between people who lie on a really, like in a really prolific way versus the so-called normal lying We're going to really break that down today and figure out what that looks like. One researcher said that, quote, lying is an unavoidable part of human nature, end quote. And it's true. It's, we, we all, when we're all honest with ourselves, we recognize that all of us tell lies, all of us. This episode, by the way, is going to be pulling from various sources of research that I will reference all of in the show notes. Um, There's a a huge amount that went into putting this together, but I think you're going to find it to be really fascinating and walk away with a whole different perspective on the entire concept of lying and how to pick out lies. 
one of the things that I came across from a mental health aspect that was really fascinating was this idea of self-delusion and deceiving ourselves, basically. And it showed that people suffering from depression rarely deceive themselves or anyone else because they have a sense of perceiving reality with more accuracy than those not suffering from depression. So to some small degree, the lies we tell ourselves and these self-delusions that we create can actually be essential to good mental health. That's incredible that we basically require some sort of lie telling to ourselves to be able to function at our highest level from a mental health standpoint. One study showed that we are more likely to lie via email than with pen and paper. That's fascinating, especially in this digital age. It, it implies that it's probably even easier for us to lie in this digital age than it ever was before. We can actually also end up altering our own memories when we lie. I'm going to go into that a little bit more later on, but when we tell enough lies, we can actually start to change how we remember a particular situation. Whatever it is that we're lying about, we start to believe our own lies, even if they're small. And then something like marriage. So while marriage seems to offer some small degree of protection from lies, it's usually the smaller lies that are less likely to happen within the context of a marriage, but it doesn't really change the potential for the big lies. And we save many of our biggest lies and betrayals for the people we're closest with. Both men and women seem to lie with relatively equal frequency, although women tend to be more likely to lie to protect someone else's feelings, and men are more likely to lie about themselves. Although there is some indication that men do lie more often than women, but the research was, was a little bit mixed on that. Liars are also usually overly concerned with the impression that they make on others. And I'm also going to dive into that a little bit later on as well and really talk about some of the problems that lying can have for liars that you might not expect. Frequent liars tend to be manipulative as well. And the people who are least likely to lie have a strong sense of responsibility and very meaningful same-sex relationships. That also speaks to the mental health aspect because we tend to know that those of us who have strong friendships and, and a strong support system are generally healthier, like physically and, and mentally, but especially mentally. We tend to even live longer if we have really strong same-sex relationships. Most of us encounter anywhere between 10 to 200 lies per day. And most of us lie an average of about four times per day. This one didn't surprise me as much that lies are most commonly seen on dating sites and resumes. <laughs> I don't think anyone is shocked by that. <laughs> but the most common lie that is often told, nothing's wrong, I'm fine. That's a mental health red flag for me because we have all told that lie. I've told that lie countless times. Nothing's wrong, I'm fine. And how much could we change the course of our lives if we were honest when someone asked how we really were? Or when someone responds that way, nothing's wrong, I'm fine. How much could we change the course of someone else's life if we really dig in deeper with them? You can't force someone to share their feelings, of course, but 
if you really demonstrate to someone that you genuinely care and that you have the time for them and, and that you want to, to support them on a really deep level and, 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 you know, provide that safe space for them to fall, how much could that change someone else's life? So think about that the next time somebody responds to you that way or the next time you give that response. What is more frightening about lying is that the average adult can only detect a lie about 54% of the time. We might as well flip a fucking coin. <laughs> like 54% of the time we can figure out when we're being lied to. We have this truth bias as humans as well. We are inclined to give the benefit of the doubt. And from an evolutionary standpoint, both trust and lies are part of survival. Think about things like, uh, like food. So hoarding food in times of famine will help us to survive. But sharing food when it's plentiful will also help us to survive. So it's circumstantial as well. But the other problem is that we've become used to lies through the media especially, we're no longer nearly as shocked or outraged by it and our senses are just filled and overwhelmed with being inundated with lies or hearing about lies or finding out about more lies all the time in the media. We, we no longer have that same degree of shock by it that we once did. And we lie for various reasons too. We lie to avoid some sort of punishment or to obtain some sort of reward that we wouldn't otherwise be able to easily ob obtain. We lie to protect the feelings of others or to protect ourselves either physically or emotionally. We lie to win the admiration of others or to avoid embarrassment or get out of an awkward situation. And sometimes we even lie to exercise power over others by controlling the information that they're given. And that to me is one of the scarier parts of this. There are various problems with lying from both the standpoint of the person being lied to and the liar. So when it comes to the person being lied to, some of the biggest issues for them will vary on whether the person finds out whether or not they've, they've been lied to. So the person being lied to is being deprived of necessary information to make fully formed decisions, or they can be damaged or suffer in some way because of the lie. And when they find out, the person being lied to often will doubt their own ability to make judgment calls and their decisions, their decision-making skills. And they'll feel really poorly treated as someone who's seen as deserving of being manipulated and not told the truth. And they can become really untrusting and uncertain. I've experienced all of this. I, I experienced every single one of those things in the wake of finding out about the degree to which I had been lied to for almost a decade, all of it. I felt on such a deep level that how could I possibly trust someone again? How could I have trusted this person that, that I trusted most in the world, that this was the person who had been lying to me and on such a, a deep level, like to, to such a degree that it was changing the course of my life. And because I hadn't been given all of the information, I felt like I wasn't, I, I felt cheated because I hadn't been able to make an informed decision because I didn't have all the, the necessary information to do so. On the other side of things, 
I want to talk about some of the problems that the liar experiences because this is something that isn't often covered and I really want to highlight a few things here. The liar is often hurt by their own lies because for one thing, they're, re they're having to remember the lies that he or she has told and acting in accordance with those lies. That sounds exhausting. And the lies start to build on top of each other. It's like piling bricks onto quicksand. You're constantly going to have to be searching to replace the next one because it's, it's never ending. It's just going to continue to suck things into it. A liar's own belief of themselves as someone with integrity diminishes significantly as well. And while they might behave as someone very sure of themselves, in my experience, people who lie regularly tend to have very low self-esteem and sense of self-worth, and it becomes more and more necessary to continue lying to maintain the facade that they have built up. But on the inside, that's a very vicious cycle that makes them feel continuously worse about themselves. Imagine going through life lying to everyone. You would automatically assume that everyone else was lying to you as well because that's all you know. That sounds like a really, really sad way to live. A devastatingly sad way to live. And it would be so difficult to break out of that cycle because when you've told so many lies for so long, if you start to tell the truth one day, it already starts undoing all of these other lies and showing people how long you've been lying for and to what degree you have, you've been lying, which makes you look even worse and therefore feel even worse about yourself as well. That's a devastating blow. We tend to just write the, the liar off, but I wouldn't want to ever be the liar. That's a situation that I would never want to find myself in. And yes, I know we said that we're, that, that we're all liars, which is true, but there's different degrees of, and I'm talking about someone who is lying practically all day, every day about everything. That, that is truly a very sad way to live in my opinion. Now, the thing is, is that some of these issues that I'm talking about here, this isn't nearly as applicable to people who tell like these so-called good lies. Like I said, it's mostly just more about people who lie for negative reasons and are extremely deceitful on a very regular basis. A quote that immediately came to mind when I was putting together this episode. <laughs> Hopefully there's some Game of Thrones fans out there who can nerd out with me about this. <laughs> was Jon Snow, because we all know Jon Snow is like the, the most, the, the character that has the most integrity of anyone on the show. And the quote that most came to mind was, from a very significant scene, you'll know which scene this is I'm talking about if you uh, have watched the show. He says, quote, I'm not going to swear an oath I can't uphold. When enough people make false promises, words stop meaning anything. Then there are no more answers, only better and better lies, end quote. That's powerful. Whether it's from a fictional character or not, <laughs> that's, that's incredibly powerful because it really speaks to the fact that the more lies we experience or the more lies we tell ourselves, words just stop meaning anything. And then not only are we not going to trust our own words, we're not going to trust the words of anyone else either. Something that often, that people will often bring up when it comes to things like lie detection is the polygraph test. 
And there's various problems with something like the polygraph test. One of the biggest is that it detects fear, not lies. So if we're very comfortable in our lies and we have no fear in telling them, they won't show up on a polygraph. The vice versa of that is that plenty of people can have lots of fear without telling lies too, especially under stressful circumstances like taking a polygraph test. There's actually an error rate of anywhere between 25 to 75% on a polygraph test, which is likely why it cannot be admitted as evidence into court. Something that I came across in my various research was that liars can be very wordy in their explanations and descriptions. So it might be sort of in an effort to provide more detail and therefore seem more believable. I have watched this happen multiple times and it's, it's like someone will say this long winded explanation and blah, 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 blah. And then you get to the end of it and realize, wait, they, they didn't actually say anything. <laughs> like they didn't say anything of substance or they didn't actually answer my question or really address it. But we get confused because they've thrown so many words at us that our brain is trying to comprehend everything that they just said. And then I, I experienced this a lot over the years where that would happen. And then I, I would move on from the conversation and later think, wait, I didn't actually get my question answered. Like that didn't, that didn't really comprehend with what I asked, or I still have more questions. Like how is it that after that long winded explanation, I still have questions. It was because my actual question had never truly been answered. And it was really fascinating to start to put some of those pieces together. Words only make up about 7% of how humans communicate. We talk without using our words constantly. And that's a little bit of what we're going to get into today. And the thing is, is that we're in this constant state of information overwhelm. You can actually reference episode 69 about information overload and, and overwhelm. And I, I go into that a little bit more, but it's making us, it, it's making it very difficult for us to be able to tune into our gut instinct and intuition because there's so much noise in our everyday life that we've, we've lost sight and we've lost track of how to listen to our gut instinct. I really strongly recommend also checking out episode 120. Uh, it's, it's all about listening to your intuition and gut instinct and especially how I have learned and have been relearning to tune into that because I was ignoring it for so long in my relationship, even though my gut instinct was screaming at me and I was ignoring it. Oftentimes we will feel less guilty about lying in our professional lives than in our personal lives as well. And there's a couple myths here that we often hear or think about when it comes to lying. Things like, uh, you know, liars won't look you in the eye or maintain eye contact. That's total bullshit. Total bullshit. That's old, outdated information that is no longer applicable. Something else is, you know, if, if somebody folds their arms across their chest, it's a sign that they're lying. That's also not true. Plenty of us fold our arms across our chest and we aren't lying. That can just be a, a, a more random gesture. And I can speak very much to the fact that the, the eye contact thing, especially I was always given fantastic eye contact while being directly lied to. Um, and, and the research really indicates that that, that really plays no role on whether someone is, is lying particularly or not. 
some of the information that I'm going to go into moving forward is pulled from the book Lie Spotting by Pamela Meyer. I strongly recommend that you go check it out. I could never in, in any way sum up her book in this podcast, but I am pulling some of the research and some of the, the information that she provides in it into this episode, uh, but I really recommend it. It was just a fantastic read and incredibly, incredibly fascinating. She also has one of the most watched TED Talks in the world. Uh, I've referenced all of this and all of the ways to go find and, and connect with Pamela Meyer in the show notes, so you can go check all of that out. And it's just fascinating. And one of the things that she said that struck me the most was, quote, no one can lie to you without your approval, end quote. That struck me so hard because I wanted to believe my former partner. And a lot of times when we're being lied to, we, we want, not only is it our instinct to trust people, but we want to believe them. We want to believe that they're being truthful, especially depending on what they're telling us as well. If it's information or something that we want to hear, of course we're going to believe them because we want to. And that's the difference. Something that Pamela talks about in her book that I found incredibly fascinating was something she calls the Q test. So you can do this anywhere right now, whether you're walking, driving, you can do this uh, with, with one hand. As long as you can safely remove one hand from whatever you're doing, you can do this test. So use your dominant hand right now to draw a capital Q on your forehead without thinking. Don't think about it. Just draw a capital Q on your forehead with your dominant hand. Are you done? <laughs> Which way did you draw the tail? Did you draw the tail towards the right eye or the left eye, the tail of the Q? If you drew it towards your left eye, it would be likely that someone facing you could read it. Whereas if you drew it towards the right eye, you would be more likely to be able to read it from your own perspective, hypothetically. This test can indicate how we self-monitor in terms of concern with how the world perceives us. So low self-monitors draw the tail right so that they can easily read it themselves. Whereas if you have a tail facing left, that can indicate a higher self-monitor and might have, uh, you might have a more natural way of looking at the world through the lens of another. It could also potentially mean that you're highly skilled at adapting behavior to suit various situations and manipulating how others perceive you, know, you and that can be really helpful skill as well. A high self-monitor will also tend to be better able to control verbal and nonverbal cues that low self-monitors struggle with. But to be clear, I am not saying that if you drew the tail left and you're a high self-monitor, that you're a liar. <laughs> I am not saying that at all. It, all it means is that the, the cue test just measures how you filter information. It doesn't indicate that you're a liar. However, people who are liars tend to be more likely to fall into the category of high self-monitor, which would be drawing the tail towards the left eye. Only one out of 10 people can control the muscles around their eyes. And why this is important is that it's one of the many ways that we can use body language and body cues to figure out whether or not people are lying to us. And the eye muscles can be a really strong indicator of this because it makes it easier to tell when someone is smiling in a way that isn't genuine too. 
one researcher uh, that I'll, I'll reference in uh, somewhere else said, quote, compared to truth tellers, liars show lower cognitive complexity, used fewer self-references and other references, and used more negative emotion words, end quote. That's fascinating on multiple levels, but what's even more interesting to me, we don't even like to use the word lie or liar. Instead, we tend to reach for much gentler sounding words like referring to, to things as a white lie or fibbing or even simply labeling something as an error or miscommunication even when it's much deeper than that. Most of us start lying by six months of age and by four years old, we've had lots of time to experiment and figure out what works, what doesn't and how to get our way through deception. Lying can also be addictive in the same way that gambling can hook people because there's this innate variability to it that we can't predict. And it can actually give us these little dopamine hits when things go our way because of a lie. Some lies will pay off and others won't, but it's the payoff that keeps us coming back for more. And this means that if someone gets hooked on the habit of lying, it can be very difficult to break. Very difficult to break, particularly as an adult. Because children lie and adults lie. But that usually stems, in an adult, that lying usually stems from childhood. That didn't just, they didn't randomly wake up one day at 30 and start lying out of nowhere. That if someone is lying, you know, kind of on a more compulsive basis or very, very regularly on, on a very deceitful level, that usually stems from much earlier in life. And the difference with pathological liars, pathological liars tell lies compulsively without even having a real reason to lie or nothing to cover up. So they'll tell lies in a way that comes more naturally to them than telling the truth. And this can actually just be one symptom of a greater mental health disorder potentially as well. They'll often end up believing their own lies at times. And, and I know I already mentioned that we can alter, all of us can alter our own memories to some degree with lies. But when you are, when you're a pathological liar and you're telling as many lies as someone in that position is telling, think about how much you can end up altering your own memory. Like that's a whole different degree that, that you can get into there. Oftentimes they will lie to relieve anxiety. This could apply to anyone, not just pathological liars, but often we will lie to relieve anxiety. And that applies to both children and adults, by the way. And yet lying actually ends up often causing even more anxiety. And with pathological lies, in terms of telling lies without even a real reason to, to be lying, I have seen this happen in real time. I would ask something about, uh, you know, when, when did you eat last? Because I'd be about to prepare a meal and I would be told I ate, you know, hours ago at breakfast or something. Oh, okay. So I would make dinner right away. And then later I would end up randomly coming across the receipt for a burger that had been purchased at four in the afternoon and not like a date, by the way, it, it, I, that had nothing to do with, uh, any unfaithfulness. It was like a single burger and I, I would then ask, you know, well, but, but you had a burger at 4 p.m. And I would just be told what well, I just, I forgot. 
Maybe it's just because food is very important to me. I think, how on earth could you forget that you ate a burger? <laughs> that would be top of mind to me. <laughs> so I'm going to get into a bit of lie detection 101 here. And a lot of this, again, is pulled from the lie spotting book by Pamela Meyer. Uh, again, all referenced in the show notes. But I'm giving you a very brief overview, but I think that, that these are things that are really powerful to adopt and to start using in our everyday life. First and foremost is to watch the face. We universally recognize many facial cues without even a single word ever being uttered. And facial expressions are innate. And it actually seems to be the cultural influence that seems to have a greater impact on how we try to control those facial expressions. But all of us virtually worldwide are born with the same understanding of what facial expressions mean, both when we see them on other people and when we use them ourselves. So what we really need to pay attention to here are the quick flashes of emotion that can happen in a split second. In the book, uh, Lie Spotting, it's actually referred to as micro expressions. And they're next to impossible to control and offer a huge amount of insight as to what that person is really feeling. It can also sort of be referred to as uh, emotional leaking because no one can control their face completely. No one. Even the best liar in the world cannot 100% control their face. And one other way to kind of figure out if, if something is going on facially is to think about the asymmetrical expressions. So when it's a natural emotion, it usually takes place evenly on the face. But if it's an emotion that someone, the, the person expressing the emotion is trying to control on a deep level, you may notice that it comes across slightly asymmetrically. The only exception to this is contempt. That's the only emotion that usually appears bilaterally on the face. So when we think of contempt, it's usually like, like one, one uh, corner of your lip sneering or something like that, lifting basically. There's seven basic human emotions. So fear, sadness, disgust, happiness, contempt, surprise, and anger. All of us basically universally both recognize and experience those emotions. And the biggest thing to remember here when it comes to reading people's faces, especially these, these really quick micro expressions, is to rely on your intuition. One study showed that even when people didn't actually realize that they'd seen a micro expression of emotion on someone else's face, their brain activity was affected by it and it altered their perception of the other person and their behavior towards them. We have to trust ourselves. We have to trust ourselves. Again, episode 120 about trusting your gut instinct and your intuition, so important. And I experienced this again, there would be these, these little quick flashes that I would see happen, but I didn't recognize them for what they were because I was too busy pushing down those feelings. Like, no, there's, there's no way that that isn't a thing. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> these are the kinds of things that would go through my head all in a split second, almost to the point where I, I barely even registered that I'd had those thoughts. It wasn't until I took the time and space to start listening to my intuition and really recognizing what I had been ignoring that everything changed. Number two is body language. 
one or two behaviors, I, I really want to stress here that one or two behaviors of body language issues, um, issues, body language indicators, I guess, it might mean nothing. So there are all kinds of us are going to use these types of body language things totally subconsciously, and it doesn't mean that we're lying. But what we're looking for here more is, is what uh, Pamela Meyer in the book Live Spotting refers to as a cluster. So multiple forms of behaviors that happen together all in a row or, or in a row can indicate lying. Something like physical closeness and creating barrier objects. Because our instinct is to tell the truth, we, like, if anyone is lying, they usually want to somehow separate themselves or put some distance between themselves and the person that they're lying to. So if one way could just be to, to physically move away from them a little bit, or if you're in a small space and that isn't really possible, Sometimes the research shows that people will try and move objects to almost put a physical barrier between them and the person that they're lying to. That's really interesting. So if for no particular reason, it looks like people are, are moving an object to put it between you and them. Again, that's just one example, but that could indicate that there's some deception happening. Something else is the uh, head nodding that moves in the opposite direction of what the person is saying as well. So if somebody is saying no, but they're nodding yes, or vice versa, that can indicate that there is some, potentially, some deception going on. Liars will usually rehearse their words, but not their gestures. And stillness when speaking is unnatural. So what can often happen here is that people who are lying tend to use far fewer gestures when they speak than the average person would because they're expending so much mental energy on their words that there isn't much left over for body language. So getting really familiar with body language can be a fantastic tool and it goes so much deeper than just somebody crossing their arms across the chest. Again, in the book, Pamela goes into some, some major specifics here that I simply didn't have time for in this episode. So go check it out. She gives you a, a ton more tools that would really be powerful for you to implement in your toolbox when it comes to figuring out lies. Number three is the words. Because people want to tell the truth, but it's whether or not we're really listening that makes all the difference. Lying is hard work. It is very hard work. Anyone who's lying is having to think of plausible answers, not contradict themselves, figuring out what the other person might find out and maintaining the lie through their words, not acting nervous or speaking or acting in a particular way. The list is endless. Again, I, I'm going to say this again. Lying is exhausting, <laughs> especially on such a deep level. When, when someone is lying to you constantly and on a regular basis and the lies just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, that is utterly exhausting and I cannot imagine living that life. But in terms of the words, there's a few different things that you can look for. And again, there's, there's even more examples given in the book, but one of them is parroting statements back to you, especially by using the full sentence rather than just a portion of the sentence and repeating the question you just asked to buy time. But what I mean by that about the full sentence is 
let's say somebody says to you, um, what time did you get into work last week? And then the, the person who is about to lie says, what time did I get into work last week? They repeat the entire sentence. Whereas typically a lot of us would just repeat a portion of it back. So what time or, oh, last week. Does that make sense? So rather than, than repeat the entire sentence, people who are being honest will usually just repeat a portion of it back. Again, I, I don't want to say that this is any type of hard and fast rule. Like if, if somebody repeats the entire question back to you, then they must be lying. No, no, we're looking for clusters here. So it's a variety of things. You know, if, if you're seeing micro expressions happening, you're noticing micro expressions happening of, of flashes of emotion and some of these body language indicators, and you're experiencing, you know, you're watching some of this happen with some of these parroting full statements back to you. Those could be considered a cluster. And then yes, there might be some red flags here, but just one of these things happening does not necessarily indicate that someone is lying. Another one here is dodging questions, either through ignoring or deflecting or guilt trip statements. I have been on the receiving end of this one a lot, uh, usually in the hopes that you'll abandon the question while being too busy defending yourself or trying to prove that you aren't biased as well. There's also protesting to try and remind you that nothing about them seems capable of deceit. I've <laughs> seen this one too, <laughs> where does it seem like I'm lying or you know, they'll start listing all of their amazing qualities to you to just prove their point that how could they possibly be someone who lies when they're all of these other amazing things. Too little or too much statements too. So either providing next to no information whatsoever or giving an incredibly wordy response like we were talking about before and using a lot of words to say very little, a lot of words. Typically, Again, it, this is just more in my personal experience. People like that who are very wordy also tend to um, really enjoy expanding their vocabulary because then it gives them even more word options to choose from to throw at you <laughs> whenever they are being deceitful. So that is something to also consider as well. And another one is specific and or non-contracted denials. So what I mean by this is using more formal grammar, like um, instead of haven't, you'd say have not. Um, one of the examples that, that Pamela gave in the book was the very famous Bill Clinton situation when he was denying that he had had uh, sexual relations with, with his intern and he they, she actually laid out examples from various interviews where he was constantly saying, I have not had sexual relations with that woman. That's one of, I feel like one of the most uh, <laughs> famous statements on earth, but that's just one example. And she showed this through various interviews as well, where typically many of us would use the, the contracted form of the grammar, not all the time, but sometimes we, we would usually just naturally fall into the habit of using the contracted form. In terms of the specific response or specific denial that can be a specific denial of wrongdoing rather than a more general denial, which is more common amongst people telling the truth. So for example, let's say somebody says something about, um, I've never cheated 
a company in 30 years of business versus someone saying, I did not cheat that company. And yes, this is, this is a little bit fuzzy because both can absolutely be true, but it's again, we're looking for clusters. And when things like this are happening over and over again and being repeated constantly, it can really indicate that because we want to tell the truth, all of us innately want to tell the truth. If somebody cheated a particular company, they are not going to want to make the blanket statement. They're not going to be as inclined to make the blanket blanket statement that they have never cheated anyone. Instead, they're going to try and, and just focus on the one that they did cheat. Does that make sense? They're trying to make it more general and, and versus the the specific and vice versa. Something else that you can do too is to ask open-ended questions of someone that you suspect is lying rather than yes or no questions, because it's going to force them to basically it, it buys you time to some degree, because then there is going to force them to respond in a way that gives you more time to see what's really happening. Everything from the micro expressions to the body language to the the worded statements, all of those different things can all come together when you're asking open-ended questions, whereas it's very easy for someone to just say yes or no without giving anything away. Something else as well is to make the liar retell their story. And they'll often stumble to try and make sure that it's a perfect narrative that all lines up Whereas people telling the truth will naturally sort of jump around in the storyline sometimes. And again, something I really want to stress here, one or two of these things does not make a liar. It's these clusters that you have to look for that make the biggest difference. I have listed all kinds of references for this episode. Um, There are multiple TED Talks, including the one by Pamela Myers, but there is multiple, multiple ones. Ted actually has an entire section on their website all about uh, various talks that they've had given about lying. I have listed all of those. I have referenced various quotes and everything else that I listed here. And I really recommend checking out the Lie Spotting book. It has absolutely been a game changer. And it's just really important to start to examine these things more closely. Really, really important because it can change the course of your life. It can absolutely change the course of your life, whether you can detect lies or not. And to recognize what is really going on around you and tuning in to that gut instinct, because I have said it before and I will say it again, our bodies know far more than we do. Our bodies are talking to us constantly. Our bodies are telling us things all the time and we are just ignoring them and we're too busy with other things. We're too busy scrolling Instagram (laughs) to pay attention to what is really happening around us. So I hope that this has been helpful. I got a lot of requests for this episode. Um, A lot of research went into it. Let me know what you think. Make sure to screenshot it, share it on social media, tag me over at Emily Goff Coach. I would love to thank you for listening, for tuning in, and I'm really excited to see what you guys think about this one. So we'll be back on Thursday. I have an extra, 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 extra special guest. I'm so excited uh, to share this one with you. I've been sitting on it for a while and I wanted to wait until now to release it. So I can't wait. Make sure to tune in for that. And then there's the business and podcasting episodes every Saturday as well. Talk to you soon.
Thank you so much for listening to the Room to Grow podcast today. I'm so incredibly grateful that you took the time because it means the absolute world to me. For any references in the episode and all show notes, be sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com. And if this episode touched your heart, it would mean so much if you would take a quick second to hit subscribe, write a review, and share on social media or with someone who really needs to hear today's message. It makes such a difference to keep this podcast going so that I can continue to bring you amazing content and absolutely incredible guests. Be sure to tag me over on Instagram at Emily Goff Coach so that I can thank you in real time for listening and connect with you. We're back every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday with brand new episodes, and I am looking forward to growing with you.